All right, good morning. You know, it's Thanksgiving week, and you just know that everybody's not going to show up on Thanksgiving week. That is just the reality, but you never expect the left projector not to show up Thanksgiving week. So I don't know where he went. I am so sorry. We will find a replacement for him by next week. He's gone. He's done. He's out of here. All right, now, uh, a little bit more serious than that. I, I want you to think, who's the first person that comes to your mind when I say the following statement? Who's the first person comes to your mind when I say the following statement? I have been looking for an opportunity to share my faith with fill in the blank. Or I have been looking for an opportunity to invite fill in the blank to come with me to essential. Like don't don't say it out loud, but who is the very first person that came to your mind? I know somebody came to my mind. And, and here's, here's what I want you to know. December 3rd, not next week, the following week, December 3rd is a golden opportunity to invite that person to come with you. It's a great opportunity for you to reach out to that person, to bring up your faith, to invite them to come with you. Um, I, I have been praying for you this week that you would have the courage to approach that person and to invite them. I will continue praying that, that for you to have the courage to invite those people. December 3rd, it's going to be a very, very special day in the life of our church. It's going to be a day to remember. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a Sunday if you haven't put that together yet. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to have a special time. We're kicking off a new series called Christmas Unrushed. Um, but I believe we'd be amiss if we did not use this as an opportunity to invite others to come hear the gospel. I think we would be, we'd be wrong. I, I think we'd miss an opportunity if we did not invite other people to come and enter into gospel Center community with us. So please be using this opportunity. I'm going to continue praying that you have the courage to invite that first person that came to your mind when I made that statement. So please join me in that. Also, on December 3rd, right after the services from 1230 to 1.30, uh, we are going to have something called First Step. Just lunch provided, child care provided. If you are new or fairly new to Essential, I want to invite you to be part of this. We're going to talk a little bit more just about where we've come from as a church, where we are headed. I'm going to share a little bit more about my story, about how I found Jesus, my calling into full-time ministry, and then we're going to talk about your story. So if you're new to Essential, please come to the First Step class. Uh, even if you've been here for a while, you're more than welcome to come and be part of it. Maybe things you've heard before, but love for you to be there as well. It, because we're providing lunch because we're providing child care if you know that you're coming please write that on your connection card just write first step and let us know how many people are coming with you so that we can be well prepared for that all right transitioning into the sermon I'm going to ask a question, and then this one I'd love for you to answer. I'd love for you to yell out the answer. So I'm going to ask a question. I'll count to three to give you a second, and I want you to yell out the answer. And here's the question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? One, two, three. Do not eat yellow snow. That is great advice. That is great advice. That is really great advice. No, okay, so only one of us has received some great advice that we want to share. And what a, what a piece of advice to share. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some of us, the greatest advice we've ever received, we received it a long time ago. If you were being honest with yourself, just put your hand up. Anybody here, the best advice you ever received, you received it more than 10 or 15 years ago? 
Like some of just the best advice you ever received that came from a long, long, long time ago. It's the same thing for me. And I don't know if it's necessarily the best piece of advice, but some advice that's really stuck with me. And even though I heard this for the first time 15 years ago, I bet a week does not go by where I do not think of this. I was at a conference. John Piper was the speaker. And John Piper, speaking to college students and young professionals, said, he, he, just, he just charged us, he encouraged us, do not be a cul-de-sac of God's blessing. Be a conduit of God's blessing. Don't be a cul-de-sac of God's blessing. Be a conduit of God's blessing. And even though I heard that phrase 15 years ago, and I do not think I've heard that phrase since uh, from him or from anyone else, but even though I heard that phrase one time 15 years ago, I bet every single week I think about that phrase. And it's just something about it. As God blesses us, we shouldn't be that cul-de-sac. We should not be the dead end of God's blessing in our lives. Instead, we should be a conduit. And that blessing, it comes to us and it flows into others. All right, now I want to ask another question. And this time, do not, do not answer this one out loud. Because I have a definitive answer and I don't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, but, but I just want you to think with me for a moment. Think, think, uh, think critically on this. Do you believe Jesus was wealthy by a worldly standard. Do you, do you think Jesus had many possessions? Do you think he was rich? Now, don't answer out loud, but just think with me for a second. Jesus Christ, when he was a man, do you believe he had worldly wealth? While the scripture does not necessarily say he was or he was not, there are plenty of clues that show us that he did not have worldly wealth, especially the way that most of us as middle-class Americans would think about it. Uh, there's several examples of this. Uh, for example, we know that he was born into a very modest family, the son of a carpenter. We know at one point uh, early in his ministry, when asked where he was staying the night, he said, I've got nowhere to sleep tonight. Of course, he was using that for his glory, and he wanted this person to invite him to the home, and it worked. Uh, we know at one point, a disciple came up to him and said that the temple tax is now due. And if you remember the story, um, Jesus gave him really bizarre instructions. Jesus told the disciple, go fishing. The first fish that you catch, it'll have the temple tax in there for us. Uh, we know uh, that Jesus had to borrow, borrow a tomb to be buried in. And we could just go on and on and on. There, there's all of these examples that pointed to the fact that by most middle class American standards, Jesus was not financially well off. We could say that he was poor or relatively poor. And there's a lot of evidence to that. But let me ask you another question. Do you believe that Jesus was overall happy? Yes. You think he was happy? My objective this morning is to, for us to see the beauty of Christ in the way that he saw giving and receiving. I, I believe that Jesus Christ saw a connection between receiving and giving. And I think if each one of us, if we saw this connection, if we made this connection in our own lives, I, I believe it could change everything for us. Really, I mean, whatever you did to get, to, like whatever you gave up to be here this morning, I think it is going to be worth your time if we can see this connection that Christ made between receiving and, and, and giving. And my hope is that you would see the beauty of Christ in this. I mean, really, like that, that is my main hope every week. Really what we want is to see the beauty of Christ. Because if we can see the beauty of Christ, our hearts can be transformed. We, we're not after simply uh, going for a behavior modification. Like, like that's really not what we're after. That, that's exactly what religion does to us. Religion uh, uh, threatens punishment or, or, or gives you the prospect of reward, hoping that you will simply change your behavior. 
That's not what we're going for. The gospel goes for heart transformation. And yes, once our heart is transformed, it will be forever change. It will forever change our actions, no doubt. Uh, but, but I want to give you an example. Recently, very recently, I heard another preacher speaking. Really neat guy. But I will say this. To paraphrase his entire message, it was this. You better do this, or you better do that, or you're going to have hell to pay. And to be fair, in the context of what he was saying, everything he was saying was true. Like, that, like that was right. That was true. But I, can, I, I also know this. The way that that material was presented, I'm sure it scared a few people into going and behaving. But I also know from my own life and the story of others that I've had opportunity to minister with, uh, that many times when we are making behavior modification based upon fear, we will go and do the new thing once or twice. And then we will resort back to our old ways. That's what behavior modification looks like. That, that's what, when we, are, when we are simply trying to change our ways, simply out of fear or the prospect of reward, that's typically what happens. Here at Essential, like we're not about threats or we're not, we're not trying to taunt anybody. What we want is transformed hearts. That's really what we want. And when the gospel transforms our hearts, that is the key to lasting change. In fact, even uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, uh, verse 1 it says, offer your life as a living sacrifice. And then in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And for any of you who grew up in the church, for you church people out there, you may be thinking, well, um, it says mind, not a transformed heart. Well, 2,000 years ago, when the text was being written, they thought the, the mind and the heart was the same thing. 2,000 years ago, we thought all the thinking came from here. We had no idea what the spongy thing did. But now, we see that it's two separate things. And so today, we are in the final week of our Jesus Economics series. And money problems, they are common. That's why we're talking about this. Many of us, we've had money problems. Maybe we have money problems. Maybe one day we will have money problems. Or if nothing else, we're surrounded by other people with money problems. And I think this is the right season to talk about this. Because if we wait until January or February to have this conversation, it may be too late for some of you. Uh, by February, MasterCard and Visa have already started calling you. The holidays are around the corner and we need to talk about this. We need to get some things out into the open. And so this morning, we are looking at Jesus economics. We are not going after behavior modification. We are going after heart transformation. In the first week of the series, we saw that Jesus was content. In the second week, we saw that Jesus treasured something different. And I believe if we've grasped both of those things, our, our money problems, our reaction to our money problems, the way we see money problems, it's going to begin radically changing. And today, my hope is that we would make this connection between receiving and giving the way Jesus saw it. And, and, and my gut tells me that most of us, we've not made this connection. And in the passage we're going to be looking at this morning, it's from the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging us. He's encouraging us not to simply be just receivers, but also to be givers as well. And in this passage, Paul actually quotes Jesus. Now check this out. This is the only time for this quote where we see uh, this particular quote from Jesus. We don't see this quote. And many times when we hear Jesus saying something, we usually think of maybe it comes from one of the four, uh, four gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. This doesn't come from those. This comes from the book of Acts. It is a well-known phrase, and this is the only recording of it. We do not see it in the gospel books, and rather we see Paul quoting Jesus. And it's so well-known, I'm going to ask you to finish the quote with me. And here's it, here it goes. 
It is more blessed to give than to receive. Receive. My guess is if you're here this morning and this is your very first time in church, you probably have heard that phrase before. It's something that Jesus told Paul. The passage comes from Acts chapter 20, verse 35, and here's the whole verse. It says, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I want us to spend our time this morning making that connection between receiving and giving. And there are a lot of ways we could have made this connection. Basically, every time we see Jesus receive anything, he gave it. We see this constant pattern of Jesus receiving and then giving. And this morning, we could talk about a lot of things. We could talk about how Jesus received, he earned a reward and then gave it to his followers. We could talk about how Christ received his mission and then gave it to his followers. We could talk about how Christ received love from the Father and then gave it to his father's followers. But today, I want to focus in on one thing. I want us to focus in on identity. Identity. Christ received his identity from the Father, and then he, Christ, gave his followers his identity. That's really what I want us to camp out here. Christ received his identity from the Father, and then gave his followers his identity. We see this really uh, fascinating uh, event happen in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, there's, there's people around, and all of a sudden they hear a thundering voice coming from the sky, and it says, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And what would come from this? What would come from the one God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? Well, this beloved son would go on to live the perfect life. He would satisfy the righteous requirements of the law, and then he would be crucified. There's this beautiful story from a surgeon up in, he was in New York City, I believe he's moved on now. His name is Dr. Samuel Weinstein. And I think it was about 12 years ago, he went down to El Salvador to uh, do life-saving operations on some of the world's most marginalized people. And he was helping this one child. His, he was eight years old. His name was Francisco. And after Dr. Weinstein had been uh, uh, doing surgery for 12 hours on this young child, the young child actually began to bleed out. And after 12 hours, um, it, 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 it became a real problem. And, and the hospital, unfortunately, did not have the medicine uh, to, that could have clotted the blood. And unfortunately, they also did not have a blood bank. And they weren't able to uh, give back the blood that this child so desperately needed. Well, they did a blood type and it ends up he was B negative, which would be basically worst case scenario. One of the more rare, most rare types of blood. Dr. Weinstein also had that same type of blood. So after working on Francisco for 12 hours, he went, he got cleaned up, and then he drew his own blood. He then gives Francisco his blood. And then the story goes on that Dr. Weinstein sat down, had a Pop-Tart, a cup of water, scrubbed back in, and finished the life-saving operation on Francisco. Could you imagine the scene? 12 hours, and then something goes terribly wrong. Then Dr. Weinstein gives him his blood and then finishes the operation. 
Of course, this is a beautiful, beautiful illustration of what Christ has done for us. It says that all things were created by Christ and for Christ. It says we are saved by the blood of Christ. And not only that, Christ has promised that he will finish the work he has started in us. And the beauty of the gospel is not, that Je- not just the fact that Jesus did these things. It's the fact that Jesus laid down his life for broken people just like you and me. Like that's the beauty. It's not like, it's not like Jesus, uh, it wasn't like uh, this man, Dr. Weinstein, was performing the surgery on the President of the United States of America. Performing the surgery on someone who did not deserve it necessarily. In the same way, Christ laid down his life for people like you and me. We are saved simply by grace, not because of who we are or what we've done or because of our own goodness. And those who have uh, received Christ have now received his identity. And we see this from several passages. I'll read two quickly. John chapter 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. But now you may be thinking, so what? We've, we've received the identity of Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does it mean for you? Many times, if you've grown up in a church, or, or gosh, even no matter what your status is, you've heard people say that I am saved, or those people are saved. Everybody, just seeing who's listening, anybody heard that phrase before? Saved. We've all heard that phrase before. Saved. They're saved. I'm saved. But have you ever stopped to ask saved from what? We're saved from punishment and condemnation that we deserve because of our rebellion from God. If somebody says they're saved, what they're really saying is they're saved from punishment an eternal condemnation. That's what they're saying. When Jesus received his identity and gave his followers his identity, his followers received victory. We've received victory. I was defeated, but Jesus gave me victory. I was separated from God, but Christ gave me reconciliation. I was in rebellion, but Christ gave me peace. I was condemned because of my sin, but Christ brought me freedom. And all of this has happened to those who follow Jesus because Jesus gave his followers his identity. A culture will tell us this. This is what culture tells us. A culture says you do whatever you want to do. There is no punishment. There is no condemnation. You get to make your own choices. Just don't hurt anybody else. That's the voice we hear from culture. I don't think anybody would even dispute that. That is the voice we hear coming from culture. Religion says something very different. Religion says you will not be punished as long as you do more good things than bad things. That's what religion says. Religion says, listen, you won't have condemnation and punishment as long as you do more good things than bad things. And the reality is, many of us, that's how we've grown up. We've grown up hearing that message. And so for some of us, especially if you're new to Essential, this may be a shocking statement. Uh, This idea, wait a minute, wait a minute. Religion says, I won't be punished if I do more good things than bad things. But check this out. The gospel says something radically different from culture and something radically different from religion. The gospel says, the more good I tried to do, the more bad I realized I was. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, said it is only those who have tried to be good who find how very bad they are. He goes on to say that the bad may not even know that they are bad because they've never tried to be good. 
A quick litmus test for you this morning, if, if you're here and if you think you are a good person, I do not mean this to taunt you. I do not mean, uh, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm, I'm just trying to be helpful and constructive. Uh, but, but if you think you're a good person, the reality is you've probably not tried very hard to be good. Because I know my experience and experience of those that I've spoke to about this show that the harder we try to be good, we realize just how bad we are. The gospel continues that the only one who was truly good, the only one who was good, laid down his life so that I may have life. The one who was good paid it all on the cross. Scripture says that he who had no sin became sin so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. And because of my faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross, I have been given a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We are now a new creation. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that out of our new identity, uh, we are to do, uh, I'm sorry, it says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus uh, to do good works which were prepared for you in advance to do. What's that saying? It's saying that those of us who place our faith in Christ, those of us that Christ has given us his identity, we've been given a new identity, and our new identity is to do good works in Christ Jesus. Now, <laughs> this is, we've, we've covered a lot of ground laying the foundation of the gospel, but you may be asking your question, Tim, this is great, this is good, that's fine, we love the gospel, but what does this have to do with Jesus economics? Like what, like, what does this have to do anything with the topic for today? And here's the, here it goes. Every time in Scripture, virtually always after receiving something, Jesus gave it to others. Almost every time. Virtually every time. I can't think of any exceptions. As Christ received, he gave. As Christ received his identity, he gave it. There's this fascinating story in the Old Testament. That's the first part of the Bible. And it's in the book of Exodus. And it might look like two different stories, but I assure you there's a link that some of us have not seen. Really fascinating. I, when, when, I, when, this, when the light bulb went off, this is like, wow. Check this out. In uh, Exodus chapter 25, God tells Moses to tell the Israelites, uh, verse 8, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. This was the tabernacle. All right, now check this out because we're about to read something else, but I, I, I just want you to see if you can identify a problem here. The Israelites, there were around 2 million of them at this point. And when, when the Israelites received these instructions to build the tabernacle, they, they had been wandering in the desert as nomads for one year, okay? They had been nomads for the last year. Prior to being nomads for a year, they had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, Okay? Like, like just, just, I want you to think about this. They were slaves, their parents were slaves, their grandparents were slaves, and you go back several more generations. There's a long line of slavery, and then nomads, and then they receive these instructions from Moses. Uh, Exodus 35, beginning in verse 4. 
Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord had commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Does anybody see a problem here? They have nomads in the desert. Prior to that, 400 years of slaves. And now they're being told to bring these riches to build the dwelling place for God. Check this out. And here's the connection that I had not made and I bet many of us have not made. When Jesus, I'm sorry, when Moses gave these instructions to the Israelites one year prior... They received everything that they would need to give to God for his glory. Back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19, beginning of verse 19, here's, here's, what, here's what God's telling Moses. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. Uh, like read like, like the plagues that we're familiar with. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people, the Israelites, favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, listen to this, when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters so that you shall plunder the Egyptians." You see that? The gold, the riches, was to build the tabernacle. They received so they could give, and they gave to glorify God. When God told the Israelites, listen, build these things, bring the riches, build this place for me. One year prior, God had given them everything they would need so that they could carry out the wishes of God and glorify Him. And when we see the beauty of Christ, it melts our hearts in such a way that we want nothing more than to glorify God. And here's another litmus test. Like, like one of the things that I, I want to do just to be helpful is to identify issues in your heart and in my heart where we may be blind to them. And if you're here this morning, if your goal is not to glorify God, that, that should be a, a warning sign that something is wrong in your life. And I'm speaking mostly to those of you who grew up in the church, those of you who think you're right with God, those of you who think you are a Christian, but if you do not have this deep desire to glorify God, if it is not your top priority, and I'm not saying we don't always get it right. I'm not saying that sometimes we don't let something else sneak into the position, into the place of God in our lives, but I'm saying if you do not have that deep desire to glorify God with your life, you're not a Christian. You're not. But you don't have to leave here today without making that decision. In Romans chapter 10, I believe it's verse 9, it says anyone who confesses with their mouth that Christ is Lord and believes in their hearts that God raised him from the dead will be saved. And I love this theme of us receiving and then giving. I love that Jesus told us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I've got this illustration. I, I just, I just, for some of us, this will hopefully make a little bit more sense. I hope, hope some of you can see it. I'll try to describe what's going on. Um, okay, so I, 
they say I've got very bad handwriting, but I've done my best. Also, I don't know what could go wrong. It's just a lot of water near really expensive electronics. Okay, so, so here's the thing. And, and if you've grown up in a church, you, you've seen some sort of illustration like this. We, we got this one container, this big container, and in here's this water. And we just label it God. And from time to time, frequently, God is a very generous God. And, then, and there's this other, there's this cop, and I just wrote me on it. And from time to time, God gives and we receive. And then here, we've got, we've got several other things. I wrote church, I wrote others, I wrote Good Neighbor Project on here. And as God gives to us, as we receive, we're to give to others. We pour here. And okay, this is getting pretty messy. Okay, that's fine. And then we do that. And then God continues to pour out his blessing in our lives. And we continue to pour it. Give generously, give to the others, give those in need. We support the Good Neighbor Project. And we just keep doing this pattern. And this is what Christ has told us to do. Christ says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this comes back to the John Piper quote. Many of us, God has continually poured out his blessing on us. And it's just overflowing on us. We do not pour that into anyone or anything else. That would be the opposite of what Christ has told us to do. Now, now why do we do this? Why, as, as, as our cup fills, why do we pour it into others? Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. As Christ received, he gave. This is not a, hey, go pour your cup into other things, or you're going to have hell to pay. That's not what we're saying. We want our hearts to be melted when we see the example of what God has done for us. Christ gave us his identity. And the reason he did that was to glorify the Father in the same way as God blesses us. We are to give. And in doing so, we bless others. And I, I want to wrap up this sermon with what was a bombshell for me. I hope, maybe, maybe shocking, maybe you already knew this. But this morning, we've repeated the phrase, it is more blessed to give than to receive multiple times. But if you're anything like me, what you've been hearing this entire time is me saying it is better to give than to receive. Many of you, that's exactly what you've heard. You've been hearing me say it is better to give than to receive. That is not what the scripture says. That is not what Jesus said to Paul. Now, we may say that's true, but that's not what it's saying. It did not say better. It said more blessed. It said more blessed. Check this out. Blessed comes from the Greek word, which is the language that, that Jesus spoke and wrote. It, it's uh, makarios. Blessed is the Greek word makarios. Makarios literally means happy happy. It is happier to give than to receive. It is happier to give than to receive. Is it possible you're here this morning and you are not happy, you are not satisfied with your financial position? And it has nothing to do with how much or how little you've been given. It's all because you have misunderstood the connection between receiving and giving that Jesus taught us.
Is it possible you are dissatisfied, unhappy in your finances, and it has nothing to do with your income, it has nothing to do with your circumstances, and the reason you're unhappy is because God continues to pour into your cup, and you have become dead-sitting water. Maybe you thought it was the receiving that made you happy. Maybe you thought as God poured his cup into yours, you thought that was the part that's supposed to make you happy. And now you're disappointed, you got frustrations in your finances. You always want more, you're not content with what you have. You, you found yourself treasuring money over anything else because you feel like you don't have enough. You're living by the scarcity principle. There's never enough. And the reality is, has nothing to do with how much you've been given or how little you've been given. Is because everything stopped with you. You become a cul-de-sac of God's blessing. And remember at the beginning, we said Jesus was not rich. <laughs> Jesus had to borrow a donkey just to ride into Jerusalem on. He was not rich. But was he happy? I'd say absolutely he was happy. Because I have found in my own life that it is happier to give than to receive. And Jesus spent his entire life giving. And even gave his life. No doubt, Jesus was extremely happy all in all. And I bet if you took a next step in being generous today, you'd find yourself being happier as well. Is it actually possible? Is it actually possible looking to Jesus could be the end of our so-called money problems. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the way you love us. Jesus, thank you for what you have given us. Thank you for what we have received because of your finished work on that cross. And God, right now, I, I just want to pray for anyone here who's, first of all, maybe they have not received their new identity from you. My prayer right now for those folks, anybody who's in this room, people who may be listening online or, or listening to the recording of this sermon, my, my prayer, God, would you, in a divine, special way, bring conviction on that person. Let them see their need for a Savior. That's how it all started in my life. One moment I thought I was great, another moment I saw my desperate need for a Savior. Jesus, would you bring your conviction to this place? Convict us challenges, encourages, help us to find that thing that we have always been looking for, and that thing is you. And I pray anybody who's here who's not been made a new creation in Christ Jesus, I pray they would not leave this place the old way. And God, for anybody who's in this room who does know you, they do follow you, they have been made a new creation, and yet they're just hanging on tight to the things that you've given them. They think maybe that's the key to a prosperous lifestyle. Maybe they think that's the key to having more than enough. Maybe they think that's the key to security. God, would you open their eyes the way that you've opened my eyes and seeing that it is happier to give than to receive. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, I want to ask you, what has God given you? What has God given you? a calling? What has God given you? And, and do not be in the cul-de-sac of God's blessing. Be 
be a conduit of God's blessing. For some of you, you need to take your first step in learning that it is happier to give than to receive. Some of you, that's where you need to start. And as we enter into this time of response, now's a great time for you to find that it is happier to give than to receive. Some of you, you need to take a next step in finding that it is happier to give than to receive. Some of you, you've been growing in that area and that discipline for a long time and, and maybe things have become comfortable. Maybe it now lo- no longer takes an act of faith. For us, and I pray that we would be encouraged to find in a whole new way this morning that it is happier to give than to receive. And I'll say this one last note. And throughout Scripture, we do see God commanding those of us who follow Him to, to give generously, to tithe, to provide offerings, to, to help the poor, to help the needy. But, but I want to highlight Exodus 35. Moses doesn't command anyone to do anything. And I don't know if you caught this, but Moses, he said this, those of you who are of a generous heart, bring your contribution to the Lord. And so this morning, those of you who are of a generous heart, I want to encourage you, take your next step in being generous. Give tithes, give offerings, help the poor. Support the Good Neighbor Project. We believe the Good Neighbor Project is something God has given our church to do. 100% of these funds are going to go outside our walls to point people to Jesus here in Huntsville and all over the world. And I know just from being part of offerings like this, there are going to be some people who are listening to these words right now, and God is going to call you to give the largest, most sacrificial gifts you've ever given to something for God's glory. It's not going to be all of us, but for some of you, God is going to tap you on the shoulder to do that. And I pray that you would say yes, and I pray that you'd find for yourself in a whole new way this Christmas season that it is happier to give than to receive. And as we enter into our time of response, this is a time for Christ's followers to take a communion. We take the bread that represents Christ's body broken for us. We dip it into that juice that represents Christ's blood spilled out for us. If you need someone to pray for you, if you need someone to talk to, if you want to begin journeying with Jesus today, any one of those things or all of those things, uh, come talk to me in the back. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray for you. And this is also the time in the service where you can return your connection cards to one of the three offering boxes of the round the room. And as we enter into our time of response, if you will, please stand with me.